At times, the world uh, kind of reverts into darkness, into uh, the absence of the light of the gospel. For centuries, the world lay in darkness. The gospel was crouched behind large doors of, maybe we would say, threatening cathedrals that stood on hills that promoted self-righteousness. Even those in leadership promoted self-righteousness, that you could buy your righteousness, purchase it with indulgences, that you could receive it from the merits of other people other than Jesus. The truths of Scripture were held away from the common person because of their inability to read. But even when they came into the cathedrals, it was hidden by foreign language. It was just read and spoken in Latin so that Satan's sufficiently couched it behind closed doors of self-righteous monks. And then this one discontented, self-righteous monk could not find righteousness in his own works of righteousness until he discovered once again these glorious truths in Romans. In his own words, he puts it this way, I greatly long to understand Paul's epistle to the Romans. Nothing stood in the way but the expression, the justice of God. What do you think about when when we say justice of God? This is what he thought. I took it mean the justice whereby God is just and deals justly in punishing the unjust. My situation was that although an impeccable monk, and he stood above the rest in beating himself and fasting nearly to death, he would He would so try to earn his own righteousness and be just before God. He said, even then I stood before God as a sinner, troubled in conscience. I had no confidence that my merit would assuage him. Therefore, I did not love a just and angry God. I hated and murmured against him. Yet I came to the dear Paul. And had a great yearning to know what he meant. Night and day I pondered until I saw the connection between the justice of God and this statement. The just shall live by faith. Thereupon I felt myself to be reborn. To have gone through open doors into paradise. The whole of scripture took on a new meaning and whereas before the justice of God had filled me with hate, now it became to me inexpressibly sweet in greater love that God would grant to me justice, his right standing by faith. That passage in Paul became to me a gate into heaven, the pathway to heaven. And that is not just figurative, that is true. That's the crux. That is the crux of the gospel that that God would gift to us by his grace, his right standing, 
And in his justice, he would condemn Jesus in our place and place upon ourselves Jesus' perfect right standing. The truth is no clearer taught than in this book. And so we'll wrap our minds around that, but as Luther grasped that, he became set apart for the gospel. And that gospel message flung out from that monk like no one else could bury. And he came to those cathedral doors and he placarded it there. How can this not be so? Somebody debate me. And no one could debate him. And the light sprung forward and sprung forward. And that enlightenment changed the world. It taught people to read. Germany's language was taught from Luther's Bible that the common man could read. And so as we enter Romans, we find the world was changed. The world was changed from this book, from those words. That is the power of this book, from understanding them carefully. And so as we do, we'll, we'll let Luther recommend to us how to study this. He says, I study my Bible as I gather apples. Okay. Uh, first, I shake the whole tree that the ripest might fall. Then I shake each limb. And when I've shaken each limb, I shake each branch, every twig. Then I look under every leaf. Okay. This is what he's illustrating. He says, I search the Bible as a whole, like shaking the whole tree. Then I shake every limb, like shaking every book. Then I shake every branch, giving attention to each chapter. Within those, I shake every twig, careful study of every paragraph, and sentences and words. All right, so that's what we're going to do, right? We're going to For just a moment here, we're going to zoom out, and I'm not going to get into all of it, but we're going to look at the whole big idea of Romans, and then we're going to get from the tree to the branch, from the branch to the... We're going to end up in a leaf, okay? But just give me a minute to get there, okay? Um, And we're we're going to see some precious apples under that leaf. So let's look here, first of all, at this theme... What is the whole book of Romans? And as we continue on in chapter 1, we're going to be able to discover some of these who, what, when, where, how, and why. Um, But the what of Romans, the big idea of Romans of the 16 chapters is that we can be right with God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can be right with God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we're recognizing that as God makes us right with him, we do not stay in our sin. We don't earn favor with God, then live any way we please. No, he changes our heart as he makes us right with him through Jesus. He motivates us through that to live a life that's pleasing to him. And so we found last week that uh, this overview is two big ideas. There's the idea of chapters 1 through 11, worship, the, the teaching about who Jesus is in his gospel. It's worship. It's doctrine. It's foundation. Okay? So this is the the first 11 chapters. Worship, doctrine, foundation. Seven commands. They all come in chapter 6. 11 chapters, seven imperatives. As the crow flies, like, uh, some of those may not actually be exact imperatives, but, but as you read it, it comes 
cross that way. Um, many, many, many more questions. And if you're getting into Romans and wanting to study it alongside, I would encourage you to circle every question mark. And you will see it is packed with questions. Because Paul a, is a, an attorney. And, he, and he's asking questions, and he's helping you get the answers, and he's carefully developing an airtight argument for the gospel. Okay? Look at chapters 12 to 16. It's not worship, but all about our walk, which is worship, but you know what I mean. From doctrine, it's getting to practice. From theology to practice. How you live out the gospel. From foundation to transformation. And so we saw... Romans 12, 1 and 2, Therefore I beseech you, because of the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. From that, that transformation comes, look at this, 95 commands. In chapters 12 to 16. So we go from 7 in 11 chapters to 95 in the, follow, in the final 4 chapters. Okay? So that's chapters 1 through 16, the, the whole book. Now as we look at chapters 1 to 11, that's what we're going to try to dissect here in the weeks to come. Today I just want to look at that first section, okay, the first branch on the tree. And that's what we're going to call a preamble set apart for the gospel. A preamble set apart for the gospel. Okay, so now we're zooming from the map. We're trying to get a little closer, okay, a little closer in. Uh, that would have been helpful. All right. The, the preamble just comes in three sections. Verses 1 to 7 we'll see today. Verses 1 to 7 we'll just read and try to get a flow of thought of what Paul's teaching there through the Holy Spirit. But it's a glorious gospel greeting is how I'll kind of summarize it. And just give me a minute. We'll walk through that. The second little section will be verses 8 through 15. And I've summarized this this way. You can summarize it any way you want, the margin of your Bible. But, but this is what I put, a glorious gospel longing. A glorious gospel longing. He desires to have fruit in Rome through the preaching of the gospel. And then verses 16 and 17 are the theme verses for the whole book. Right? That would be good for all of us to memorize. As he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. That's the big idea of the whole book. From that flows the big message of all of the, the book of Romans. And so this is the glorious gospel mindset, how we should live because of the truths of the gospel. A heavenly way of living, verses 16 and 17. Okay, so today what we're going to do is just go down a little closer in from this branch and we're going to get into the little twig, okay? Verses 1 to 7. Verses 1 to 7. So let's do that for today. We're going to look at verses 1 to 7. And I just want to take a moment with this and just show you how this works. In, in, this is helpful for you to do if you're studying the Bible on your own. Take that, that text, that paragraph, and help yourself think through it logically. Okay? See which ideas main ideas fall under the other idea, okay? So, verses 1 to 7 go right through here. You see that verses 1 to 7? This is the text. And, and what's interesting is you see that these three verses are all about Paul, okay? So we're going to call that the threefold introduction. He's introducing himself. Paul, he's going to give him three things about himself. A servant of Christ Jesus, Paul, 
called to be an apostle, Paul set apart for the gospel of God. You see that? A threefold introduction. Now he gets to a word at the end of that threefold introduction that enraptures him. What is that word? Gospel. Gospel of God. And now what he's going to do is give, you, give a tangent all about the gospel. But if you're just reading it, you, and you read all these phrases, you, you may not understand exactly what's flowing under what. And so it's really helpful is in a little notebook to kind of write what sequentially or logically flows on the other one. Okay? So, so the next, this is all about Paul. The next, really, 2 to verse 6 are all about the gospel. So this is the gospel of God, which... He promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. But this gospel is also, verse 3, what? It's concerning whom? Concerning his son. And he goes on another tangent. It's, you know, so you're just seeing, he's, he's kind of getting caught up on this, the this, the this. It's a run-on sentence. Every English teacher would be, R-O, R-O. That's all my papers, high school, college, run-on, run-on. Because I like Paul. I like how he does that. I think we're wrong. Let the mind run. Let it loose, right? But we can't write that anyway anymore. Um, because people don't like to think. So, Paul talks about Paul. The gospel talks about the gospel. This gospel is all about his son. What we're going to do is break down these two ideas about the gospel being the prophecy about the gospel, verse 2, and then the person of the gospel, verses 3 through 6. This is all about Jesus, who is the person at the center of the gospel. And then we finally have the recipients. Okay, so the sentence itself reads this way. Paul is writing a letter to the Romans, right? Or those loved by God in Rome. That's the sentence. Paul is writing a letter, which isn't actually in you know, the original, but it's, that's the idea, the flow of thought. Paul, to those, writing a letter to those who are in Rome. You got that? Okay, I know we've, we've gone through a lot, but this just helps you understand where we are. Now you have a map. You have a road map. And I won't do that again, so try to remember it. Okay, we'll, we'll try to recover at least the big ideas as we walk through verses 1 to 7. Um, but this just gives you a map of where we're headed in that first sentence. The central idea from the First sentence is Paul is writing to those in Rome. But he mentions gospel and he can't get over it. And this is Paul. When he talks about the gospel, he has to just go on a tirade and tell us all about it. Because he is someone who's set apart for the gospel. So now let's get into the leaves. We're, we're actually going to look at that first verse and finish off last week's threefold introduction. Uh, last week we, we started this. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. And we found this very practical. Paul is teaching what our identity is. People are giving you all kinds of identity crises. <laughs> Who am I? I'm still trying to find myself. Yeah, because you haven't read the Bible. You haven't come to grips with what, the God, what God says you are. And so people are finding their identity and their occupation in their giftedness, in their sexuality, in their sports team, in their ethnicity. And all of these things kind of make up who we are as persons, right? Your Mets or a Yankees fan, that really tells a lot about you. 
your identity as a human. I found myself now. I have a sports team. A lot of people, that is a big part of their identity. Like that's their whole life revolves around that. But what we're finding is that's not your identity. Your identity is that you're a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Very high and holy calling to be a bondservant to the King of Kings. We saw that last week. Our calling, I, I mistyped uh, that. I also found that this program, Prezi, does not have spell check, and I readily welcome you to t- help me with my spelling. Uh, maybe not in public, but afterwards, or in public, I don't care. Uh, calling, what is your calling? Your calling is that of an apostle. Now, that is Paul's calling, and we looked at that specifically. He had a special calling at that time. There were very few apostles, and he was one of them. And he says he was the last of the apostles. And so we find that his calling is different than ours. And you have a calling as a mom. You have a calling as, a, as an attorney. You have a calling as uh, a, an electrician. Whatever your calling is, you, you kind of live that out to the glory of God as a bond slave of Jesus Christ. And those are what Moses says, what's that in your hand? You use it for the glory of God. But all of us also have this primary mission or purpose. This is our purpose statement. This is Paul's purpose statement, is that he's set apart for the gospel. He's set apart under the gospel. And so these are our two main ideas today. We, we are following the Holy Spirit's instruction here as Paul introduces himself to everyone. We could say, boy, I want this to be true of myself. I want to find my identity in my relationship to Jesus. I want to find my calling and the giftedness he's given me to serve his bride. And I want to find my mission and my purpose and what he's given to his church. And that is set apart into the gospel. What does he mean by set apart? Set apart. Well, that that word is just to be separate. uh, To sever. To uh, set a strict boundary on. Maybe something that's set apart for special use. Growing up, we had a huge mug that we set apart in the freezer to be filled with Coke and served on one of my brother's birthdays, or mine, our parents. Uh, This was a special mug. We did not use any other time. We pulled that out of the freezer, and it's a frosty mug for someone's birthday, a special occasion. That was set apart unto the birthday. It could not be placed with the other mugs. And so the Bible uses this word when Paul and Barnabas are set apart for a specific mission. The church discovers that the Holy Spirit has set them apart. They were very useful in the church as pastors. And yet God said, no longer are you going to be pastors there. We're going to set you apart for this specific task. They were set apart for that mission uh, to share the gospel beyond Jerusalem, that case beyond Antioch. And so I kind of find this very helpful that Paul was being set apart unto something. All right, and so this is, there's a distinction here. That this word in the original has a, has a relationship to the word that's used to describe a group of people in your scriptures. Anyone want to throw out a guess at who that is? Israelites, well, one faction of the Israelites, but actually it is used to them. They're God's special people, set-apart people from the world, absolutely. But the Pharisees, that same word, they they call themselves the set-apart ones. We are set-apart from everything unholy, set-apart from the Gentiles, 
set apart from anything worldly at all. And so Jesus comes and he eats with sinners to share the gospel with them. And they look down on him. That man is not set apart. He cannot be a Pharisee. And so we find a very important lesson here. It is not what you are set apart from. It is what you are set apart unto. It's not what you're set apart from. I don't do any of this stuff. The motivation is, I'm set apart unto the gospel. And if, if this entertainment, if this dress, if this uh, whatever it is, affects my ability to live out the gospel, then I'm going to get rid of it. Because I love the gospel. You see that? And that's a, that's a fine difference there. But this is, this is the idea, repeatedly the Bible. We put off and we put on. If you do not replace the theft with giving, nothing comes in its place. If you don't, if you don't replace the blessing with curse, the cursing with blessing, right? So people curse, oh, that's horrible to curse. Well, replace it with blessing. Set apart unto the gospel. And so we find this application being set apart is the life of a Pharisee. Being set apart unto the gospel is the motivation for every Christian. It is the life. It's the essential life of every Christian. Being just set apart. We need to be set apart. We need to be holy. We need to be set apart. Being set apart unto yourself is is a, a very selfish thing. And we find that in the monastery. Luther was doing that. And he was trying to gain his self-righteousness. But he found, uh, <laughs> he found that Satan was there too. Uh, because it was, it's, it's all selfishness. It can be all selfishness. But if you come from there and you live for God and others through the gospel being sown through you, then you're set apart unto the gospel. It's the gospel that calls us out Yes, to be set apart in our actions and our thoughts, but it's set apart for this reason that the gospel may clearly go through me. All right, so that is the, the action is being set apart. What is the object? Set apart unto what? Set apart unto the gospel. Set apart unto the gospel. All right, let's uh, give me patience here. Be patient with me. We're going to discover a Greek word. I know we can't, right? We don't need to learn Greek, but just... just Bear with me. All right. This is a word you should know. Okay. How many know the word agape? See, look at that. You already know a Greek word. So don't get on me for teaching another Greek word. Uh, this, is, this is just as important as agape. It's the word gospel. Euangelizomai. Euangelion. Euangelizomai is to proclaim the gospel. Euangelion is the gospel. So now... You, what does you mean? Good, good. Right? You think of eulogy. When somebody gives a eulogy, what are they giving? A lie. No, they're giving all these good words about this person who's passed away. All these good words. You, logos, word. Eulogy. So, gospel, you, good. Angel. What does that sound like? Angel. Doesn't it sound like angel? And that's the same word, absolutely. It's this messenger. These angels were messengers from God. And the actual word, the idea is they, they're a messenger. And as you read the New Testament, you have to decide, all right, should this be translated just messenger or should this be translated angel? 
right? So you and good message. This is good news. This is good tidings of great joy, which should be for all the people. This is a primary theme of the book of Romans. We find it throughout. Yes, God has given us good news. That's awesome. There is, there is, I don't want to get into it, but there is bad news today. We are bombarded with genuine bad news. I mean, we're not making it up. Everywhere around the world, there is, there's wars, there's famines, there's just very difficult things. Even in people in New York City, there's families, there's difficult, it's just, but you know what? There's a lot of evil in the world. Not just bad news that you see from wars and rumors of wars. There's, there's just a lot of wickedness, and it can be oppressive. I think we find a world that's being filled with all unrighteousness and wickedness and greed and evil, envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful, And then even people that know that that's wrong, but they don't even, they not only practice those things, they start to give hearty approval to those who practice those things. Do you see that? That's reading Romans 1. Those things are Romans 1. It's a lot of bad news. But this overcomes it. The gospel comes to a community like that. That is why this this book is for us today. That's why it changed. It brought the the light of the Reformation. We need this good news. Because all of those things really stem from self, from a preoccupation with self, from a desire to please self, from a desire to lust and have and covet. So there is good news in all of that downward trend And that good news is the gospel, that Jesus died to self, rose again, and gives us the ability to live a different life that is not for self, but that's for someone else, for God and for others. That's the amazing gospel message that transforms our hearts and transforms communities all around the world. So let's just look at three verses that highlight this in Romans, I would encourage you to write these down. Three primary verses that kind of flesh out the gospel in Romans. First of all, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. What is the power of God in our lives? The power of God in your life is the gospel. This good news is the the power of God. Do you want to see God's power in your life? Don't order a hanky online. Don't you know, get into all these deceptions. Get closer to God's message of the gospel. And that makes us where we're not ashamed of that gospel. Because it is the power of God. And so you've shared that gospel message with your coworker ten times. But that next time, the lights come on. And it's just powerful. There's no other explanation. Maybe you heard it a hundred times. And then that hundredth time... Oh, I get it. God loves me and saves me in Jesus. It is the power of God for those who believe. The Jew first and also to the Greek. Number two, the gospel is a spiritual service of worship. 
as you live set apart for the gospel and how you work and how you live and how you entertain and how all of these aspects of yourself, as it becomes a life mission, then it becomes a spiritual worship. So it begins, this letter begins with the gospel and then look at the last verses of the gospel of, of Romans. I have written very boldly, this is chapter 16, to you on some points so as to remind you again because of the grace that was given to me to be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering as what? A priest of the gospel of God. He's ministering as a priest the gospel of God to the people around him. As, As we live this way, set apart to the gospel, it's like a priestly service. It's holy. It's worshipful. It's a, it's, a, it's a calling. I am a priest to God as I minister the gospel and how it changes my life and changes others. Thirdly, um, the gospel is what will establish you. The gospel is what will establish you. Not only is the power of God for our salvation, but it is what will cause us to stand. It will cause us to grow as we minister it to others, but it will, it will make us to where we can stand. The gospel is a spiritual service of worship, and the gospel is what will establish you. That word establish is fixed, literally setting up something so that it remains immovable. You think of a pillar, a solid pillar that's going to stand the test of time. How does that happen in your life where you grow to be strong? It's the gospel. The gospel does that. And so we find, Romans 2, the mercies of God lead us to repentance. It's not thinking about his condemnation. It's thinking about his mercy that wants me to repent. God is so loving to me. He still loves me. He still reaches out to me. And Jesus, he still loves me in the gospel. I want to live for him. I want to turn from my sin. It's the gospel that transforms our life in Romans 12. As Titus, Paul writes to Titus, he says, The grace of God in the gospel teaches us to deny ungodliness. It's not my, my self-righteous, pharisaical aspiration. It's the, it's the grace of God and his mercy that teaches me to deny myself. As we meditate on this beautiful mercy of God in Jesus, it motivates us to live for him, to live for him who died for me. And so Milton Vincent in his Gospel Primer for Christians gives 30 reasons to continue your meditation on the Gospel. Let me quote one of, he says toward the beginning of that book, he says, As long as I am inside the Gospel, I experience all the protection I need from the powers of the evil that rage against me. I don't know if you've ever thought of this this way, but he says, It is for this reason the Bible tells me to take up the armor and put on the whole armor of God. The pieces of the armor it tells me to put on are merely synonyms for the gospel. Translate literally from the Greek, they are the salvation, the justification, truth, the gospel of peace, the faith, and the word of God. What are these expressions but various ways of describing the gospel? Therefore, if I wish to stand victorious in Jesus, I must do as the songwriter, put on the gospel armor, each piece put on with prayer. That God would tell me to, this is important, take up and put on the gospel armor alerts me to the fact that I do not automatically have it on. 
Each day I need to continue to rehearse the gospel to myself, right? In fact, he says, these commands imply that I am vulnerable to defeat and injury unless I seize upon the gospel and arm myself with it from head to toe. And so we need every day to preach the gospel to ourselves. God loves you in Jesus. He's taken away all your condemnation. He is changing you day by day through his power, his resurrection power living through you. You don't have to do it yourself. Jesus will sanctify you through his gospel. This is the gospel. Uh, It is the gospel of God. uh, Is the end thought there. Paul doesn't make this up. He comes straight from God. Um, That day the emperor would be considered God. And when he gave a proclamation, there's a new son born. They would proclaim the streets, good news about God. This is the good news of this emperor, this deity. And so Paul comes into Rome where this emperor sits and he says, no, this is the good news about God. God has sent his son. And his son did not come to rule through killing us, but to come to rule dying for us. And so we bow to him. And as we live set apart for the gospel, it's the hope for our neighborhood, it's the hope for our church, it's the hope for ourselves, it's the hope for our country. It was the hope for the earth's bad news in 1517. It was the hope for the earth's bad news in 1738. 1700, so 250 years after Luther first read that Romans passage and it hit him, He went on and wrote a commentary on Romans. And we find another young man in the 1700s dejected, a miserable failure as a missionary because, again, he was trying to establish his own righteousness, same beating of himself, same starving himself to find favor with God, and he's same guilt because of that. And one late one evening, he comes into a Bible study group, and they're reading Luther's commentary on Romans. Wesley listens to that, and he hears about justification by faith alone through Christ alone, and listen to this. He says, while he's describing that change, what God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt myself strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation. Assurance was given to me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. And so begins another great awakening all over Europe. The gospel light goes forward for another hundred years and spreads with George Whitfield and John Wesley's preaching to this country and totally changes this country. We're 80% of this country, heard the preaching of those men and uh, just scores of cities, the whole city gets saved. It's the same hope for today. It's the same hope for Queens. It's not a new party. It's not a new politician that's more dynamic. It's not a new education program that finally teaches people to say no to themselves. We need a change, a heart change, a heart change. The law leaves us Longing for more. Christ makes us complete and brings us to the Father, complete in Him. This is the hope for all of us today.
set apart to the gospel. Well, I need to be done. Let me encourage you to think three's applications, and, and you can do that on your own. What does set apart for the gospel mean about how I eat? What does set apart for the gospel mean about how I work? Can I work in such a way, be gracious and patient with my unbearing boss in such a way that they will more readily hear the gospel or see the gospel in me? What does set apart for the gospel mean for how I interact with my classmates? What about what does set apart for the gospel mean for how I dress, for how I entertain myself? And so these become practical applications for this mission of being set apart for the gospel. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Let's all respond to the Lord's message, praising him for uh, how he does save us in the gospel. Maybe he would apply one of those set apart for the gospel truths to you in such a way that you feel that you need to come to him and ask him for cleansing. Uh, Let me encourage you to repent. If you have never come to faith In the gospel alone, let me encourage you to do that right now. You're trying to earn your own way to God. Get rid of that. Grasp Jesus once and for all, even now. I'll be standing in the back lobby for a moment. If you'd like to pray with someone, I'd be happy to pray with you. And we'll close in a time of prayer and singing.